0: This episode is brought to you by a bridge. A bridge is a free app that helps you capture the details of your healthcare appointments so you can review them anytime. Today's guest, Aliza Licht, is someone who had no symptoms leading up to her diagnosis, but is an amazing example of the importance of advocating for yourself. Welcome, Eliza. Thank you, Harper. I'm so happy to see you twice this week. I know it's amazing. Aliza and I met on Twitter many years ago. It's one of my favorite stories of how I've made a new friend, so Happy to have you here. Thank you. So let's dive right in. Tell us who you are, where you're
1: from, and what you do. So, my name is Aliza Licht. I am from New York, originally Long Island. And I have spent my career in the fashion industry uh, over 20 years. I am now a consultant in creative brand marketing and digital. And I'm also the author of Leave Your Mark and host of the Leave Your Mark podcast.
0: Love that. So many amazing things. I was first introduced to Eliza when she was starting and running the DKNY PR girl Twitter account, which took a life of its own. And just all the amazing work that you're doing. But that's not what we're here to discuss, which is sort of rare for you. Yes. So let's dive right in. You had your first mammogram when you were 35. Yes. And you had no family history to suggest that there were any breast cancer risks. What made you get this mammogram?
1: My sister in law is a radiologist, and she had said to me in passing, like, oh, go get a baseline when you're 35. So I did. I didn't think anything of it. I went, I got it. It was fine, it was normal. And they said, come back when you're 40. And that's what you did. And that's what I did. And what happened in that 40th mammogram? So I go back and, you know, I knew I had dense tissue. I'm always the one that gets called back in for more pictures. And I did the mammogram. They said, we need a few more pictures. I said, fine. I went back in. They did it. Waited in the waiting room. And they said, everything is normal. You can go. And I said, well, actually, um, I would like to get an ultrasound also. And they were like, oh no, you don't need one because your mammogram's normal. And I'm like, well, my sister in law is a radiologist and I would like one just for good measure. So they obliged. I went in and the doctor who examined me was, you know, looking everything over on the screen. And I could tell she was like really looking at the screen. And I just thought to myself, wow, I bet you because I'm the one that asked for this. She finds something. And sure enough, she says to me, you know, I see something here. I'm not sure. Maybe we should just biopsy it. And I said, sure, do it right now. So she took it out and they sent it off. And the next thing I knew, she calls back and she's like. You How many ha-? days later? Oh, it was like pretty immediate. OK. Um, she calls back and she's like, Aliza. And I could hear it in her voice because I think she was just shocked Because you couldn't feel anything. It's not like I was in the shower and I'm like, oh, I feel a lump. There's nothing. And that in combination with the normal mammogram, it's like she was floored. So she says to me, at least you have breast cancer. And I said, I just laughed. I I was just like, not that it was a self-fulfilled prophecy, but in a way I was like, I bet you it's going to happen. Just because stuff like that happens to me all the time where like I sort of like mentally envision something and then it just seems to be. Of course, nothing good, <laughs> just the bad stuff. And I said, OK, well, how big is it? And she said, it's less than one centimeter. She's like, I couldn't feel it when I felt you. And and no one could feel it when they examined you. And you need a lumpectomy. And I said, OK. So I'm very, not to say that I'm cold, but I'm very like, what are my next steps? What are the deliverables? When do I have to do it? So everything was, like, scheduled in, like, a nanosecond, and um, I had it removed.
0: Had you thought about getting
1: a second opinion? Did you know and trust this doctor? My practice is amazing. I trust the doctors. I also showed, of course, the films to my sister-in-law and several other people that she works with, and everyone was floored. It was like, how is that in there? Like, it's so tiny. And by the way, like, maybe it was there since 35. Like, Who knows? So I got the lumpectomy, and then I went to get radiation for, I think, six weeks. And that was crazy because I didn't tell anyone about this. And I didn't tell my kids either. They were how old at that time? So this was in 2015. So um, my son was 10, and my daughter was 7. My daughter was in camp, though. And, you know, during the day, but at 6 a.m. every day, I would leave and go for the radiation and then come back and they weren't even awake yet. And by the way, just to give you context, this was the summer of 2015, which is when my book came out. So that was all happening at the same time. And so what was that like and how did you
0: make the decision not to tell your kids and obviously other people as well?
1: I'm kind of one of those people that feels like, well, if you don't tell anyone, it's not really real. I also, I'm a pretty private person. As much as I'm a public-facing person on social, I'm really private. Like, if you go to dinner with me or you have lunch with me, I'm pretty much the listener all the time. And I enjoy being a listener. So I just felt like, I'm going to handle this. I'm going to get it done. And they really don't need to know about it unless, God forbid, something progresses. So I did the radiation, and it was actually really funny, and I'm assuming that doctor does not listen to your podcast, but I found the doctor super annoying, like really annoying, like every day. And you know how you have to go every day no matter what. Like can't cancel, can't reschedule, nothing, every single day. He was so syrupy and so like, and I'm sure some patients need that, right? But I was like, Literally, I've got to get back. I've got to get to work. Like, let's speed this up. So, he, he really bothered me to the point that finally I was like, you know what? I'm good. I don't need any more checkups. I have an oncologist. And thank you so much for your time. <laughs> I'll see you never. <laughs> <laughs> I will not be back. I will not be back. Um, and then I go to Dr. Ann Moore for my regular checkups. And Dr. Esterbrook with my surgeon, Allison Esterbrook, who's amazing.
0: And so, what happened after that? So, you had radiation and that's it?
1: Done? No. no, Okay. You're never done. Yeah. Um, Tamoxifen, 10 years. And can you explain what that is for those who have not
0: listened to Tiffany Diva's episode?
1: And then listen to Tiffany's episode. (laughs) Um, It is okay. So, it is a drug that is recommended for breast cancer patients. You know, when you're older, I think this is my what I've been told. When you're older and you start it, it can be really dicey. But because of my age, thank God, I haven't felt really anything from it. But it basically blocks your hormones. So my cancer was 100% estrogen receptive. So it is just blocking hormones. So I'm sure later on, that's going to be a trick and not a treat. But right this minute, it's kind of just okay.
0: And did you have any side effects from radiation?
1: Kind of that sunburned skin look, the tattoos, obviously, that they put on your body to aim it. It's funny because when I've, you know, in the summer when I'm wearing like a bikini, people are like, oh, my God, you have something on your back. I'm like, no, that's okay." And remember, no one knew. So I'd be like, oh, no, it's just, you know, it's nothing.
0: It's so interesting how you approach this. I mean, I think there's no right way. And I say that all the time to how to navigate this. I spent the first 27 years, as you know, you know, hiding my health. So who am I to say anything? Right. But I think it's so interesting that you are so I'm going to get through this and we're going to move on. And this is life. I mean, I remember when you told me about this months ago and you just said it was such like it was a little blip in my life and moving on. Yeah, I'm
1: really not emotional about it at all. And that's sort of my nature. Like I'm very I can compartmentalize things really well. And this was just to me another thing on my to-do list, which is a very long to-do list in my day. So, yeah, so the Tamoxifen's an everyday thing. And, you know, Dr. Moore, it's actually really funny. So she's a real hot ticket. And I got in. I felt like I was getting into, like, you know, Soho house or something. And um then she retired. And that was like, wait, what do you mean? Where are you going? So I went to another doctor within the practice, and then this year, they called me to confirm my appointment with the other doctor, or so I thought. And they're like, we're moving you back onto Dr. Moore's schedule. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, she's back. And I'm like, was she bored in retirement? <laughs> I'm like, just tell me. I bet you she was. And they were like, basically. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. So, but
1: I know people can't get into her, so I feel really lucky because yeah. she is really the top person in the city. And then, you know, as far as the secret, right? So five years go by. No one knows. Of course, my family knows. Not my kids, kids. Not my kids. And I go for my checkup. By the way, I do a mammogram and an ultrasound in January or February. And then I do an MRI in the summer. So that's how I split it up. And I know that MRIs are probably not the best for you, but... It's really the number one most 100% way to know that there's nothing there. So I do it. So I go to my appointment, and my doctor, who found the cancer, is like, Aliza, you know, we do this segment every October with ABC, and we think that your story is so important to share because, one, so many people don't get checked. Two, so many people think it's just the mammogram that they need. And I was, like, horrified when she said this to me. I was like, I literally kept this a secret for five years. Does this woman think I'm going on ABC News to talk about this? So I go home, and I don't even tell my husband. And I start to think about it. And, you know, me being sort of the natural mentor that I am, which is what my book is about, I was like, I really should share this story. It's a service. It's a public service announcement to share this story. So I said yes, and we filmed it over the summer, and then it came out in October, and that is how everyone found out. What about your kids? I asked my kids prior to doing it. I told them the story. I said, I'm totally fine. If you're uncomfortable with me doing this, I will not do it. However, I want you to know that it's a mitzvah to do it for other people, which means a good deed for those of you who are not of the tribe.
0: (laughs) How did they respond?
1: Like, as if I told them I'm going to get a blowout on Saturday and I'll be back in an hour. Like, the most non-issue ever. Also, the way I presented it was, like, super chill because I am pretty chill about it. And so when <laughs> when I got the link to the segment, I did, like, maybe five or six text messages to a few key people, like, inner circle people. And I just <laughs> I just texted, FYI. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> What kind of reaction did you get just People from that group? were beyond floored. I mean, beyond floored that A, I had it. B, I did this for ABC. C, I haven't told them in five years and I've done all these other things in my life and never said a word. But that's also very me. Like, I don't really share problems. I don't share drama. Like, I'm very like, I've got it. I'll handle it. So they were really shocked. I mean, some people were quite, like, upset and very much like, but are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. And, you know, even the Jilu, um, the producer for ABC, who's done this segment for over 30 years, you know, and she came to the apartment with the crew and she was wonderful. And she said to me, she goes, Lisa, I've been doing this segment for ABC literally my entire career. She's like, I started it. And then I think it was, like, 15 years in. She got diagnosed. So Whoa. the irony is yeah. just insane. So she was just really wonderful to work with. And I think in the end, I'm really, really happy I did it.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Abridge. A bridge is a free app that helps you capture the details of your healthcare appointments so you can review them anytime. With a bridge, you can record conversations with your doctor and share the recordings with family, caregivers, friends or anyone who you want looped in on your health. Abridges technology highlights and indexes the key medical points in your conversations, which is what makes it different from the recording app on your phone. As someone who works with a team of doctors and has lots of appointments, I love this concept of the app. There have been so many times when I've walked out of an appointment only to realize that even though I was paying attention, I can't totally remember everything my doctor said. I love that Abridges solves this problem and helps people be their own advocates and make the most of their doctor visits. To download a bridge for free, go to abridgeapp.com slash made visible. That's a bridge spelled A B R I D G E app.com dot slash made visible. Abridgeapp.com slash made visible. And now back to the show. Did things shift in their approach to this segment because they'd been doing it for thirty years since you had the ultrasound, and that had not been something that had been
1: like the leading way of diagnosing people? I, you know, listen, I've never watched the other episodes, but I've always checked my breasts every month. And of course, felt nothing because nothing was actually there to touch. So I don't know. I'm sure they have covered ultrasounds. I think that why they were interested in me specifically is, well, first of all, it's ABC local. So As a New Yorker and as someone that I think a lot of people can relate to, this is like someone like people know, you know, and in my circle, at least, and in fashion. And I think because I was really authentic about sort of how I approached it, they felt like it was worth covering.
0: It sounds like the way in which you approach your life, you do keep things to yourself. But did you feel, especially while you were working, you know, in a full-time job and in launching your book and really building this brand, did you feel like you were hiding something?
1: I, you know, when I would go to Donna Karen every day after I knew that I was at Cornell in the morning at 6 a.m., yeah. I mean, it was – well, first of all, I'm, like, very productive in the morning, even though I hate being awake in the morning. But I felt like I already had, like, half a day. And in a way, I mean, this might sound cheesy, but, like, I was really proud of myself. I was like – I mean, I felt like Olivia Pope. I'm like, this is handled. And I would go to work and I would just, like, you know – it would just be filed away as my morning activity, and that was it. I mean, it wasn't hard to hide at
0: all. You didn't have anything physical that was showing any sort of differences. Nope. And did Donna see this segment? I don't know. My Other boss did, co- Patty. Yeah, that was that's what I was just yeah, going to ask. my
1: mentor. Yeah, she did. I told her, I think, last year prior to this, there were a few people that I had shared So she couldn't believe that when I told her that it was happening like while we were working together because you would just never know.
0: Do you think in sharing it that it changed anything for you? Are you glad that you shared it? Did it make you want to share more? I mean, you're here now. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, obviously. But we did plan on doing this before it came out.
1: True. I'm really happy I shared it, especially because when I posted the video, On my Instagram mainly, I mean, the amount of people who DM me and said, I'm making an appointment, that is really the reason to do it. So that felt really good because so many people are scared to be checked because they don't want to know. But it's really irresponsible. So I think it was an empowering thing for me. And I think it empowered a lot of other people to feel like, okay, if she can do that, go through it. And like. (laughs) go on a TV segment to talk about it, then I can get checked.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the interesting thing is also that you were fortunate to have the sister in law who's saying to you, you should get an ultrasound when there was no signs of anything. It wasn't like you had a scan and there was like a sign of something. Oh, and this would be your second thing to do. But the fact that she was saying like, this is what needs to be done is incredible that you had that resource. So I think about the people who don't have that level of guidance to sort of be their own advocate and know what to do
1: for themselves, it's a really tough place to be. I think you hit the nail on the head. You have to be your own doctor. You have to ask questions. You have to network about health. That's every single person's responsibility. No one's just going to hand you, like, sort of the to-do list, especially if you have no symptoms, and colonoscopy is another thing. You know, the sort of designated age for colonoscopy is 50. Well, my best friend from college died at 42 from colon cancer. So I got my colonoscopy at 40. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's just a it's a wild thing of like what these benchmarks are and what they really mean and when people should actually take the initiative and take care of themselves. Have you changed your health and the way you look at your health ever since you got diagnosed?
1: Yes. So, well, first of all, I just want to say the ages that are sort of noted as when you start things, that's all controlled by the insurance, right? So you can't really listen to that. You really, really have to. And I know financially it's a burden, but especially if it runs in your family, which, by the way, no one in my family has ever had breast cancer, so it's even weirder. It's just – it's your responsibility So that was the first question I asked Dr. Moore. I said, what do I need to not do anymore and what do I need to do? First of all, alcohol consumption. I was never a huge drinker, but I like my wine and I like my Cosmos. So I really try, sometimes I fail, to limit my drinks to three per week, sometimes four. If I'm on vacation, sometimes (laughs) six. (laughs) sometimes every day but that is a connection there um one of the things she told me that's specific to my cancer is i need to be quite thin because of the way that fat and estrogen work together so uh, being skinny is actually better for me and exercise is a must which i do And, I mean, I've always been super healthy with eating and then super bad with eating. So, like, I'm amazing during the week and then on the weekend I'll have, like, you know, 50 cupcakes or something. And that's, like, how I have my joy in food. But now I'm a lifelong Weight Watchers person, WW, rather. So I do WW. And actually I started intermittent fasting about a month ago. So I fast for 17 hours, and then I eat between 1 p.m. and 8 p.m., and that actually has a huge effect on your hormones as well. So I think that that's a good thing for me to do. How'd you get into that? Oh, there was a Twitter ad, and I clicked on it. Literally, (laughs) that's what happened. I was like, oh, this is trendy. Let me try this. (laughs) And do you feel a difference? First of all, the pounds just like fell off, A. B., Yeah, there's something nice about having, like, really strict control over when you are eating. And, you know, I eat – the goal is 1,200 calories within the eating window. So I just do the Weight Watchers part or WW within that window. I mean, there are a lot of articles on this, but it's supposed to really make you, like, have a lot of clarity in the way that you think, energy levels. I mean, CNN just did a big piece on this. They actually said – eating within a five-hour window was actually even better for you. So I think it's been great. I mean, I, I kind of love it.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of those things where, like, if it works for you, you know, continue doing it. So little segue here. Tell us a little bit about Leave Your Mark and your book and your podcast and all that you're working on these days.
1: Sure. So you mentioned earlier DKYPR Girl. So I was the senior vice president of global communications for Donna Karen for Many years, my career there spanned 17 years. And DKYPR Girl was an anonymous character that I created in 2009, which was really a Twitter personality that I did for six years. And that online personality led to a book deal where a publisher, Grand Central, approached me to write a book, which I did called Leave Your Mark. And there's a coffee cup on the cover with a big red lip stain because that's what I see every morning. And it's my way of grabbing coffee with everyone who has asked me over the years for career advice. So it is a career Bible, for sure, geared towards, I mean, I geared it toward young professionals slash college age, but I know a lot of older people who have really benefited from the rock social media part of it. And it's sort of become, you know, listen, it wasn't my idea to write it. I got approached, actually said no, because I was like, I have no time for this. But then I gave in and... Little did you know you'd been going through radiation while that came out. True. <laughs> Definitely did not know that. And I, I'm shocked that it's still around, right? Because you could write a book and it kind of goes away. But it's still, you know, organically, especially with social, it just seems to have a life of its own because it really does help people get jobs and be more confident in their professional lives and build their personal brands. And... When I was feeling creatively stifled in my last role and decided to leave the company, I was like, maybe I should write another book. And then I was like, oh, so much work. And then, you know, just randomly I bumped into my friend Grace Atwood, who has a great podcast as well. And she asked me to be on her podcast, Bad on Paper. And I and I said, Yeah, sure. And she's like, wait. So like, why don't you have one? And I was like, I didn't even really know really what a podcast was. I didn't really listen to them. And I was like, I went home that night and I Googled like how to do a podcast. And then it hit me. I'm like, this is actually a great way to extend Leave Your Mark. So spoke to you, spoke to, you know, mutual friends and figured it out and made a Leave Your Mark podcast, which has been live since the end of September. And it's been really fun. I
0: love listening to it. And the book was seriously... I think that I discovered the book before we ever started to really communicate and I truly found it so valuable and told so many people about it and continue to. Thank you. Because it is still relevant, you know, considering how much has shifted since you wrote it in the social media world. Yes. Would you ever write a follow-up? So
1: I did actually redo the manuscript in 2018 when I did paperback. I was amazed at how relevant it still was. Put some things in past tens, updated some new platforms in the social media section. Um, yeah, I mean, I would update it if I felt like it needed to and if the publisher was willing. But I think if I write another book, it's probably going to be fiction.
0: Mm, interesting. I'm excited for whatever that could potentially be. Well, I'm so glad that you did come out and share this because I think it is so important for people to know about the ultrasound concept, because who would know that? Mm-hmm. Everyone just hears the word mammogram and it's a preventative thing. So, thank you for being willing to share. When of course. You aren't the person that shares that kind of
1: stuff. Where can people learn more about you and leave your mark? So, you can go to alizalic.com, which is A L I Z A L I C H T. I'm on Twitter at Instagram, alezalichtXO. And the podcast is everywhere you podcast. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Harper.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do any of this without your support. Visit com and follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to the team who made this possible, Elise Bonebright, the audio editor, Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer, Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music, and Amanda Gracio for the design.